Some of you know that last, uh, two weeks ago now, I believe, I was in uh, Arizona speaking at the Salt and Light um, Conference or um, there at Arizona Christian University. It was a very good event, and uh, I've spoken to others as well. I uh, really, really appreciate the folks who showed up, and, and thank you all for that. It was a very nice event. The, uh, it was for the Content of Character series, series put on by the Salt and Light um, Council, Salt and Light Council. One of the speakers there was uh, Pastor Stephen Broden. He's one of the pastors and speakers there at, the, at these uh, events, right? And Pastor Broden is a former Texas Republican political candidate. He's also a senior pastor and founder of Fair Park Bible Fellowship Church in Dallas, Texas. And uh, he and I had a very interesting discussion during dinner time after the conference was over. So I invited the pastor to come on. He's here right now. Pastor Broden, welcome to the show. Uh, good to be with you. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on. I um, I um, was reading your bio, and you uh, study at the Dallas Theolo- Theological Cemetery, right? No, not the cemetery, but the seminary for Semin- sure. I mean, seminary. And <laughs> you have a, a Master of Art degree in Bible studies? That's correct. And what is that exactly? Uh, it's a degree uh, where we study uh, the language, study the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible. And um, it uh, prepares you for the pastorate and a preaching and teaching ministry. Oh, okay. And, and were you called by God to be a, a, a pastor? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I was called uh, in um, 1978, 79, and uh, answered that call in 1984, 85. Right on. I ran for it, from it for a little while. <laughs> Amazing. And why did, oh, you ran from your calling? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was uh, in, in corporate America at the time and was pursuing a career and uh, thought that that's what I wanted to do. And I, I heard God call, but I, I tried to craft a compromise where I could maintain my career and serve God on the side. And it didn't work. <laughs> Amazing. And yeah. when God was calling you, what was this, the pr- evidence that he was calling you, but you, you, were running, you ran from it for a while? Well, uh, for me, the evidence was that I had a, a thirst and a hunger for the Word of God. Uh, and in so doing, he gave me opportunity to speak and uh, to teach uh, both on my job. I did start doing Bible studies and uh, I had the ability to communicate. Uh, I was under the tutelage and teaching of Dr. Tony Evans at the Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Yeah. In uh, part of his leadership team, and I, I felt the pull on my life to to go deeper into the Word of God, to study the Word of God, and in so diving 
into the Word. God opened opportunity for me to speak and to teach. And out of that, it became increasingly clear, both to myself and others, that God was um, was calling me into a, a ministry of teaching and preaching. Amazing. Um, you, if God called you, why did you have to go to school to get a degree, preacher school? Well, uh, it, it certainly isn't absolutely necessary to do so. But it certainly was um, something that I thought was important. If I was called by God, then I think I need to be prepared. And preparation and availability are inextricably linked together. For one cannot be fully available to God unless he is prepared. And one cannot be prepared unless he is available. So in my thinking, I, uh, I thought that it was necessary for me to develop the, the breadth of knowledge, uh, the uh, uh, skill set required for me to handle the Word of God so as to make an interpretation uh, based upon a, a scientific approach to the study of the Word of God. When I say scientific, I mean the hermeneutical process where we're studying the historical, the linguistical, and cultural context in which the Bible was recorded. Understanding that uh, brings, I think, an effective means of communicating. And when I mean communicate, we are attempting as pastors, you and I, to convey meaning. There is no faith without meaning. So we have to interpret the scripture through the language, through the cultural context and the historical context in order to uh, effectively communicate meaning so as to facilitate faith. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please him. So in my approach to uh, communicating God's word, I thought it was important for me to have some training so that I can interpret the scriptures, uh, understand the historical context in which it was presented, and the cultural context. That helps in communicating, I think. Um, and so and God, God called you. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you trust that he would prepare you? Because no human being can tell you or teach you what God will have you do or say. By going to school, the school cannot teach you what God will have you to do and say and where he will place you. Why didn't you trust that instead well, I, I of trusting some I school? God. I, I trusted God. God God has is, is, can't be put in a box. We, we don't put him in a box. And God can use many means and methods for preparation and training of his men. But uh, why would you trust that he would train you rather than some, right. some, some pastor or some teacher or some physical right. person? Well, I, I, I think uh, what you are implying is that God cannot use men to prepare men for the ministry. No, I'm not, implying that, I'm not implying that he oh. can't, but I'm asking you— why, right. if he called you, and why didn't right. you trust that he would prepare you, that God well, I, himself would prepare you? Because no one right. knows in advance what God would have you say or do. Your, your question implies that I didn't trust God to prepare me. I did trust God to prepare me, and I trusted the men that he set me before uh, to teach me uh, the hermeneutical process. What is hermeneutical? I don't know what that is. Uh, hermeneutic is a the science of interpretation. 
the ability to take uh, the Word of God, utilizing the language, the original language, uh, that is uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, uh, to understand the language, the grammatical structure, the historical context, and the cultural context. That's called hermeneutics. It's but hermeneutics. don't you have, if God called you, wouldn't he give you the Holy Spirit within you so that he can teach you and guide you and perfect you and correct you? And isn't that the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Oh, absolutely. So why not just trust that? Because all that hermeneutic stuff that those people were teaching you is not from God. It's from what they think God will have you do. It's from their own intellect. Why would you say it's not from God? Could God not be a part of that process? No, because God is not going to teach someone, tell someone to, you know, to teach you the Bible and give you a piece of paper called it a degree. God, if God called you, he would prepare you. He would guide you. He put the spirit in you to guide mm-hmm. you and perfect you and to tell you, in mm-hmm. the, you know, what he will have you to say. Well, Jesse, uh, when you stand and preach behind the pulpit to your people, you are communicating to them and you're teaching them the word of God. And they're trusting that what you communicate to them is from God. Is that not true? Not true at all. I, um, I, I tell people not to let anyone teach you because the Holy Spirit will teach you. And so when you do hear we ha- when you hear a speaker or anyone conversating, you let it go in one ear and out the other one because if you hold on to what they're saying, you only believe in it because they said it, not because it was revealed to you. But if you let it pass through and mm-hmm. neither doubt it or believe it, just let it pass through, the Holy Spirit will, re- will teach you all things. And that's how to- people know for themselves because if they don't, if they're not being taught by the Holy Spirit, then they don't know if it's true or not. Well, the Holy Spirit can teach through men and have teach through men. It is the pattern of God to raise up men and to communicate to his people his ideas. That's not foreign to Scripture and is consistent with Scripture that God raises up men to teach his people. Moses was raised up. But look how screwed up the people Isaiah, are who have been taught. Oh, well, excuse me. And Isaiah, Paul... Uh, all were men who were called of God and who preached and taught the word of God to God's people. And in Ephesians chapter 4, he says he gave some as pastors, preachers, teachers, evangelists, prophets for the equipping of the saints. So there is a, a system or a process that God has established within the church where men can teach, preach, train, and teach God's people the word of God. So you think God is happy with people teaching, uh, teaching others? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so how do you a... explain where the Bible says, let no man teach you, but the Holy Spirit will teach you all things? Uh, I, I think there is a balance. There, there is a God is calling us to a balance. That but we... he doesn't say balance. He says, let right. no man teach you. But the balance has to be seen in the fact that there is indeed a call for men to teach, preach, and to equip the saints of God. But they do it through the grid of their faith and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But how do you explain where it says, let no man teach you? Well, you, you have to look at it in context, Jess. 
You can't take that out of context. Uh, what is the context that that you, you know, that you have that that scripture? Give me the scripture and the and the book that that's in. Do you know? Let it? no man teach you. The Holy Spirit would teach you all things. I put the Spirit within you, and right. He would where, teach where you all that? things. Let no man teach you. Where, where is that? Have you ever read that in the Bible? Yeah, sure I did. But where, I'm where, where did you read? I don't know where it is. I know I read it there before. Okay. Well, it's in Scripture. Where is it found in the Scripture? It's found in John. Oh, okay. In in John. Uh, in, 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 in one of the Johns, I, I'm off the top of my head, I think it's in uh, uh, 1 John. Oh, okay. But anyway, well, with that said, what you're reading is a presentation that is made by the apostle who is teaching the people that their emphasis should not be on pleasing men or listening to men, but listening to the Holy Spirit as God moves men to communicate. So that's what I think the emphasis of the context is. But it says clearly, let no man teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. He gave us a teacher within so that he shall teach us. And when the Holy Spirit teaches us, we know that it's true because it's directly from God. We have that spirit in us. I got to, because of time, I want to ask, how did you get involved with this organization, Salt and Light Council? It's such an amazing organization. How did you get involved with that? I'm with the Content of Character series, and I'm on the board with Content of Character series. Uh, Dran Reeves is the... um, uh, and I uh, got together with Walter Hoy. Yeah. And we were involved in trying to communicate uh, an alternative perspective to the black community. Uh, our community is primarily leaning towards a democratic point of view, that their worldview is processed through how Democrats define that. Yeah. And I, I saw a need for us to bring back to the conversation or into the community a biblical worldview. That is, uh, we see things through the lens of our faith. And through that lens, we assess philosophies. The Bible says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men and the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Jesus Christ. Therein is the challenge of believers, is that we must begin to identify philosophies and empty deception. And philosophies are driving uh, the dialogue and conversation that's going on in America today. Either the philosophies that are sourced in Darwinism, uh, socialism, communism, human secularism, or it's going to be sourced in a Judeo-Christian ethic. Yep. And I represent a Judeo-Christian ethic. I, I speak from thus saith the Lord right on. And, and through the word of God. And so just for you, I want the people to know the uh, Salt and Light Council for what it does, it goes around the country and speak at, to different group, you know, people or different churches or universities or different locations. You ran as a political candidate and representing the Republican Party. What did you run? What office did you run for? I ran for Congress uh, as a, a representative in the 30th district, uh, congressional district in uh, the state of Texas. Okay. I um, I want, this is, I believe, is this Black History Month, Joel? Yes. Oh, this is Black History Month. 
And uh, you and I were having a discussion about slavery and why black people are suffering, right? And the question came up about blacks being insecure or inferior, inferior, right? Yeah, we, we were talking about that, yes. And you said that blacks were inferior, inferior because of slavery. I said that there is a feeling of insecurity that grows out of the psychological damage that is connected with the experience of slavery in America. How did slavery affect the blacks in that way in today's society when slavery has been over for the last 150 years? Why are the blacks still affected in a negative way by slavery? Uh, How are they, first of all, what are some of the signs that they are infected by slavery? I think I think when we talk about this, uh, you're talking about a psychological impact now. And we're speaking in generalities here. Certainly some of us are not impacted to the extent that it has encumbered our capacity to recognize that we are the imago Dei, that we're in the image of God, our value, our worth, our dignity as human beings is found in our relationship with God. All men who are disconnected from God has a distorted view of self and a distorted view of the world. That's the biblical analysis that must be processed here. But uh, what chattel slavery did, and chattel slavery is different from uh, the other types of slavery that you and I were talking about, indentured slavery, debtor slavery, those kinds of things are different from chattel slavery. Chattel slavery takes an individual and make and 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 call them the property or the owner uh, of being owned by the master, if you will. The master owns that person and their dignity, their identity is defined for them through the master's perspective on that. So what I was talking about was a psychological damage, a mental damage that comes out of that. How does that express itself today? I think there is a kind of self-hatred uh, that uh, evidences itself among black people. Uh, not all. I'm generalizing here. It certainly doesn't apply to all. And certainly I don't believe it applies to me because I'm in Christ. I don't think it applies to you because you're in Christ. And for some of us who are in Christ, have our dignity and our worth and our value based upon that relationship. But those who are not, who seek to have their affirmation from the definition of men, find themselves thinking that they may be inferior because they are black. Now, how does that represent itself? You, you're you old enough, you and I are about the same age, and you may remember when there was this little saying that existed in our community. If you're black, get back. If you're brown, stick around. <laughs> if you're yellow, you're mellow. And if you're white, you're right. And so in that little soliloquy. There is an attitude that if you're black, you're less than those who are white. And that feeling, and and it shows itself in how we treat our hair, how we respond to our noses, our lips. We think that a person looks good if they have more of a European look than they have of an African look. Uh, Hair is a big issue in our community. If the straighter the hair the more nice it is. You have good hair. Have you heard that before? Yeah, Joel has good hair. (laughs) Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, we all do. But when when black people say it, they're saying 
a particular type of hair looks good. Uh, do you like that, this? The, the blacks are trying to wear, uh, bring in and force companies to let them wear that nappy Afro hair to work. It's called the Crown Act. Do you think that the blacks should be able to wear that nappy stuff to work instead of combing their hair if the company say, don't want it? What you say, nappy stuff? Huh? Uh, yeah. It's, it's those women, they look awful with that stuff on their hair. It's God created hair. And, uh, but what he made stays off fro so you can comb it out. Right. Well, we do different <laughs> things to try to treat what, what we have. But nonetheless, it's it's a style. You're talking about a hair style. Uh, I think that the companies ought to be able to define dress code. Yeah. And uh, and and how they want their employees to look to their clients and to the public. I, I think they they have the right to do that. Right. And if, if I don't like that, I don't need to work for them. I work Thank somewhere. Else. That's right. So let me ask, are you saying that, are you saying that blacks are the blacks and not all, not all, not all, but most that right. they are committing crimes. They're making babies out of wetlock. They are uh, not getting married. There's animosity between the black men and black women. That's through the roof. Uh, most black people hate white folks and, uh, are you saying all that is due to uh, it's because of slavery? Oh, oh no, I'm not saying that at all. And and I, I would take issue with the idea that most blacks, I, I'm not sure I would agree with your statement on that. But I do know that the the pathologies that we see within our community are more indicative of the sin condition than it is about uh any other thing, it's sin. Oh, so the, the blacks are committed all these crimes so and they baby out of wetlock, not, not because all, of slavery, but because of sin. Short of the glory of God, all have sinned. The Bible puts that label on all of mankind. When Adam fell, it broke the relationship with God and it distorted the original intent. And it manifests itself in many different ways in, in aberrant behavior as we see exercise, not only in the black community, but every other ethnic group in the world have aberrant, distorted behavior because of sin. But not because of slavery, right? It's because of sin, but not slavery. Slavery has nothing to do with slavery. uh, Chattel slavery in particular, I think is another expression of sin and it has consequences and it has repercussions. And I think most of us would agree that there is a psychological damage that takes place when one is told that they are less than a human being, that they are not as good as another person, and that their slavery is because they are not quite as human as another person. It has a psychological impact. But why didn't we see that psychological impact impact, uh, during the time I was growing up? As I told you, I grew up on a plantation under Jim Crow laws in Alabama. And blacks, for the most part, were a noble people then. They got married. They had land. They educated themselves. They respected all people, including white people. They didn't hate white people. Uh, And so as a result, they were a better people than they are today, where blacks can do what they want. They can get away from whatever they want to now. They can live wherever they want to and yet they're worse off today than any other time in history. Why didn't we see that when I was growing up as opposed to now? 
Why did it skip I, over a generation? Well, I, I'm not sure that it's that you can speak out of your experience and make that experience applicable across the board. Uh, your experience may have been unique to that particular area where you were, but uh, I don't think that you can speak in a broad brush way and say that that's true for every black person in America at that time. But no, there was some that was uh, acting out. At the time that you and I were growing up, there were indeed Jim Crow laws. And at that time, lynching was taking place. Some In some places, lynching was taking place. And so it wasn't as good as you think it was. It no, may have been it was. It was amazing it when I was growing up. Right. In uh, your experience, but that experience cannot be applied universally to all who were black in America at the time. And I think you would recognize that. I know, but there, I'm sure there was some bad things happening with some people. But it wasn't a majority of blacks who were corrupt hate white people and babies out of wedlock and and uh, just no shame about being wrong. It wasn't a majority. I want to ask if Are black, you saying that that's the majority today? Yeah, majority of black people are out of control today. Why, why do you say that? What what study? Have you, you have uh, 70% or more black babies born out of wedlock. Okay. Uh, in, in the, uh, about hating white people in... In the urban areas... In the urban yeah. areas, crime, black on black crime is out of control. Right. Um, most black people hate white folks. They blame them that, for their, they blame them for that, their problems. That's the, that's the statement that's causing me a little difficulty. You're saying that most black, that has not been my experience at all. Do you love white people? Yes, I love all people. How about white people? I love all people. Do and you, white people are people. Do you love white people? All people, uh, white people are people. I love them. They're God's creation. Do you love white people? Yes. Most, I, I just said it three times. Most <laughs> yeah. black people don't love white people, and you know, you hear it because they falsely accuse them of racism. They falsely not, accuse them of racism, and they're trying to take the white people's stuff. Jesse, that may be true for some, but that's not true for all. No, if most, right. not all, but I, most I, do. I would say that that's not true for most. Yeah, oh, no, it's true for most. No, I, I don't believe that's most. There has been a minority that has been speaking out, that speaks to those issues that have been trapped in hatred. Yes, but there's also minorities on the other side that hate black people. And there's Hispanic people that don't Amazing. like black people, white people, and Asian people. So... Hatred isn't a symptomatic problem of a sin condition that can only be solved but, at the cross. But black people lead in the way it's in hatred. Most people call black I people like a black, step too far. That's a little step too far to say that most most people, black people hate every race, really, but they especially hate the white folks. But let me ask. <laughs> I don't agree with that. Let me ask. I, um, I think that's a hyperbole. Other state. races have been enslaved before. White people have been enslaved. Uh, Armenians have been enslaved. The Jews have been enslaved. Why is it that the blacks, the blacks who are living today have never known slavery? They have not lived in slavery or never been a part of it. Why is it so hard for, if what you're saying is true about the reason they are the way they are, why is it so hard for blacks to overcome slavery, but the other people have overcome and they're living their lives and not blaming others? Well, uh, at the front end, if you remember, I said that there are different kinds of uh, slavery systems and the kind of slavery system, chattel slavery. And I think you know about that, right? What's chattel slavery again? 
chattel slavery. Let me define it for you. Okay. Chattel slavery, also called as traditional slavery, is so named because people are treated as chattel, personal property of the owner, and are brought and sold as commodities, not as human beings, but as commodities, typically under the chattel slave system. Children inherit slave status via the mother. And although it dominates in many different societies throughout history, human history, this form of slavery has been formally abolished and is very rare today. But when it was exercised on the African who came to America, he was sold not as a human being, which is different from indentured slavery. Indentured slavery, one puts himself in slavery to fulfill a debt or an obligation, and at the end of that debt is paid, he can walk away free from it. Not so with chattel cave slavery. You will always be a slave, and you'll stay under the uh, ownership <laughs> of uh, a master. Who so uh, of, who, who so, said they were not humans? When you make that kind of uh, connection between what happened to the Jews and others who were in slavery, you got to look at the type of slavery that was exercised versus the type that was exercised on the African here in America, chattel slavery. Now listen to the definition again, Jesse. It says, uh, owner would buy and sell a person as a commodity, not as a human being. So the Jews, the Israelites were not in chattel slavery? No, it wasn't chattel slavery. Oh, amazing. And so, um, when the blacks were sold to the Arabs by other blacks in Africa, because they were enslaved in Africa by other blacks, and they and those black people sold the other blacks to the uh, the Asian, I mean the uh, the uh, Muslim people, and the Muslim people sold them to the rest of the world. So were they chattel slave in Africa by other black people? I, I'm not sure about that, but I do know chattel slavery was here in America, uh, and that's as far as my research has gone. I could research that out and find out more. That's a good question. I yeah. don't know. And so if that, uh, if that is true, and I'm not happy to know that it is, were the blacks already traumatized before they were sold to the Arabs? Uh, I believe they, uh, they probably were traumatized, yes. No so question they were already to go to slavery is a traumatic experience, so they particularly were, if you were free at one time. So they were already an inferior people before they were sold to others around the world. They already had this inferior complex. Oh, no, I wouldn't say uh, that they were inferior. I don't think any man is inferior. I think but, all of us are created equal in God. But in their however, mind, they, they feel that way. However, no. the trauma or the psychological damage of chattel slavery, and I'll, I'll make that distinction, particularly as it was exercised here in America. I don't know how it was exercised in uh, uh, the continent of Africa. Or it, was so bad, it was so I, bad no, in Africa that no, no. blacks were selling other blacks to each other. They would use the human as money in, in, in Africa, mommy Africa. They would use them as money. So when blacks did business with other blacks in Africa, they would sell the person as money. That's how bad it was there. But that's not being talked about for some reason. It seemed like they only talk about it when it was um, uh, when it's concerned of black and white in America. Even the Muslims, they castrated 
their slavery. So when they would get the blacks, they would castrate them and sell them to the rest of the world. But that's not being dealt with. Why is that? I I, I don't know why, but I certainly that's a history that you certain you seem to know about. I, I, I haven't read that. And of course, I haven't done that kind of research, uh, but right. I think it it is important that uh, we understand the entire uh, historical context of how slavery is exercised. And I think one can discover that pretty easily by just doing some research. I just haven't done that research. You have, obviously. My yep. <laughs> Somebody calling. If, yeah. uh, if uh, blacks had gotten married over the last 70 years, they had stayed with marriage and, and, and live that order of God, God in Christ, Christ in man, man over woman and woman over children. Had they continued that prior to the civil rights movement, because before the civil rights movement, blacks were living that way for the most part. Not all, not all, but most, right? And then the civil rights movement came along, and the blacks turned their lives over to the civil rights leaders, and they separated them for government, right? If blacks had stayed married and continued that, up until now, would they be inferior? Would we have the situation happening with black people had they done it the right way? No, uh, first of all, I don't believe that we were inferior uh, at all. I believe that is a condition that flows out of a psychological damage that took place out of Jim Crow laws and the slavery institution that took place in America. Um, If they would have continued, you said, under... A a spiritual definition of marriage yes. and how to relate. I, I think that absolutely yes. I, I think that uh, that has a way of freeing and liberating a person and their thinking. Yes, the freedom that we have. The Bible says, "Whom the the Son set free is free indeed." Our freedom, mental, psychological, and physical, all begins with God. So, is it true then to to Admit that not all, not all, not all, but most blacks are suffering not because of slavery, not because of Jim Crow, not because of this phony idea of racism, but due to the lack of character and more values. They don't believe in God. I think the answer to the problem is a personal intimacy and relationship with God, but I don't agree with your categorization of of most blacks. I I just find that uh, uh, too difficult to receive. Why? That because you're 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 sweeping with a broad brush, and I don't think your experience, your knowledge, can make that kind of assertion. It, it, you just don't know. You're limited in your experience, Jess. You 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 can't speak for all black people in New York, all black people in Michigan, in uh, Wisconsin, uh, Alabama, Georgia. I think your brush is too broad. So if if that's true, some, I mean, uh, most, you should say some. And then, of course, there are those who are on the left who have a tendency to take a minority voice and blow it up and make it sound like it's representative of everybody. But you know that. Yeah, but let me let me say if if it's not true that most black people are suffering due to the lack of moral character, why is it that you have ninety or ninety percent and over ninety percent of black people, the the Christian and non Christian alike, 
voted for the Democrats, voted supported the Democratic Party when they know that the Democratic Party is anti-God, anti-family, anti-Constitution. They don't want the races to come together as one. They are anti-military. They voted for Obama twice, and they knew Obama was no good, not a Christian. If it's not most black people suffering for the lack of moral character, if they had character, why would they continue to vote for a party that lack that does not love God and no part of God at all? Well, uh, first of all, I I believe that what you're looking at uh, is a spiritual condition that is reflective or inflicted upon them through a deceiving spirit. The Bible says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, that in the last days a deceiving spirit will go out and deceive many. I think there is a lying, deceiving spirit that has exploited our community and has locked them into voting for that which is antithetical to that which is taught within the word of God. And so what we're looking at is a spiritual condition that is not only um, specific to the black community, but I believe it's going across this nation right now. America is under a spiritual deception where we are embracing doctrines, what the Bible calls doctrines of demons. But why what, are the blacks still being deceived? Most blacks would say, even though that's changing somewhat, but most blacks would say they are Christians. They go to church, they hoop a holler, they read the Bible. They could quote scriptures until the cows come home, right? And they, they say they are Christians. How are most of them deceived in that way if they truly are children of God? I think you answered the question right there, if they are truly children of God. Here's what you know and I know, that there are two types of Christians, particularly here in America. There are cultural Christians, and then there are biblical Christians. The two are not the same. One who is cultural says, I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home. I know my community is Christian, so therefore I'm a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. Christianity is a personal, intimate relationship with Christ based upon the definitions provided for him through the holy, inerrant, infallible word of God. So most blacks don't believe in God. Then. They, they, they don't have a personal relationship with him as defined by God himself within the word. So they don't believe in him. They believe about him. They've heard about him, but they don't believe, but they don't believe in him. Right. I believe most of Americans, and I don't want to just limit this to blacks, but most of Americans have a cursory, non, uh, biblical view of who God is and what God expects of them. But you will agree that most black people support the Democratic Party, which is of Satan. And so that would mean that most black people don't believe in God, right? Now, not that they don't believe in God. But how can they believe in him and believe in Satan, too? They serve Satan. Well, they're deceived. But then they don't believe in God then, right? No, it's not that they don't believe in God. How can they believe in God and serve Satan? Because their view or, or perspective of God has been distorted by a lie. By a lie. I'm sorry, repeat that? Their view 
and their perspective of God has been distorted by a lie. But if they truly believed in him, their view would not be distorted, right? Well, let's take it back to the garden. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. They believed in God, but they stopped trusting God based upon a lie. So most black people don't trust God? They don't trust him. So that means they don't believe in him then? Because without faith, without faith in God, you don't believe in him. I got to ask you this because we're running out of time. Um, Uh, But I do want to end with one statement, if you allow me to. Yes, sir. Uh, Let's go back to your our discussion at the very beginning. We were talking about teaching. The Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for teaching and for reproof and for correction, for the training in righteousness. Listen to those words. It talks about the man of God is to teach and to train and correct. When you when you when you somebody receiving that. And that's what I do as a pastor, and that's what you should be doing as a pastor. When you are led by the Spirit of and, God that teaches you, you are doing that, but you're not teaching them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let, that's oh. what this has been. But anyway, what was your question? I'm sorry. I just wanted to drop that in you. Know. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, do you sin? Do, do I sin? Yes. Yes, I do. So as a pastor, Christian... Uh, a man of God, you still sin. Yes. And how how do you explain what the Bible says that if a man says that he is of God and he sinned, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. For this reason, Christ came that you might not sin. Sin is of your father, the devil. How are you able to sin and be a son of God? Uh, because I'm in a a process of developing Christ-likeness. And as I develop and become more like Christ, I sin less and less. And so that process is an ongoing process. The Bible says, and I will be like him when he comes. God has made a provision for me when I sin, when he says that if you sin, confess your sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you have not been born of the nature of God. Wait, wait a minute. So when I blow it and make mistakes and sin, I can always say, God, I've made a mistake and he will forgive me and I will continue to grow and move on from that sin. And so you, of, you, when you were born again of God, you was not, you didn't overcome Satan's nature and take on God's nature? I, yes, I do. It, positionally, that's true. What does that mean, positionally? That in, in the sight of God, my position is that I am righteous and holy. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. So you have I, his nature I, now? You live in his nature? I might become the righteousness of God. That positionally is where I stand as a position. In actuality, I'm growing and progressing in knowledge and wisdom of God and truth. I don't know all of it, but some of it. I may be practicing something now that I don't know is a sin until God reveals it to me. Amazing. But brings me along. So so sanctification is a process. So you, when you were born again, were you born into the nature of God? Yes. And did you overcome the nature of Satan, which is sin? Satan nature. Satan nature is sin. Did you overcome that? 
Positionally, yes. And so in God's nature, is there a sin in his nature? No. So how are you able to sin then? Because I'm progressively developing Christ likeness over oh. time and space. When I am born again, what type of I, sin you I'm, commit? I'm uh, when I'm born again, I'm righteous. But through knowledge and understanding and wisdom, God brings me along where I become more and more like Christ over time and space. Amazing. What type of sins do you commit? Human sins, sins that are uh, based upon the human condition of that uh, the Bible talks about uh, that all of us struggle with. Give me one of your sins that you commit as a Christian and a pastor. Well, uh, sometimes I'm short-tempered. Ooh. Uh, I get angry. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, have you ever gotten angry? Not since I've been born again, no. Okay. Uh, well, are you short-tempered? Because in God there is no anger because anger is hatred. Hatred is judgment. And when you judge, you're playing God. And as long as you play God, you should never know God because there's only one God. And we don't have a right to judge. So once you're born again, it's impossible to judge to play God. It is as you uh, as you become more and more Christ-like. But the moment you're born again, that's when your nature changed. You overcome the fallen state, and now you're risen in Him. Right. You have so His that's nature. What I, that's what I. That's what I mean by positionally. That's true. Patrick, but in actuality, but in actuality, it takes time for me to grow up in the knowledge of that and to begin to learn how to practice that and apply it. Application, uh, doing of the Word of God is where the power of the Word of God is. And we need to learn how to do it. Amazing. As any baby, you don't, your baby is born, but the baby takes time to learn to walk, learn to stand on its own, learn to talk. It's a process. And that's what it is for most of us. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. Start all over. And starting all over means learning again. But you have the, to be born of the spirit, right? right? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. It speaks to a process. The I-N-G on that word, I-N-G renewing is a participle indicating a progression or process. Amazing. So let me ask, um, oh, I forgot what I wanted to ask. We're out of time. That's why I'm rushing. Tell the folks how okay. they can listen to your church service or whatever you're doing. Uh, no, well, I, I don't have anything online. We're, we're a small church and we don't have the technology that you have. Oh, I see. Uh, but I, I teach in the inner city and uh, my ministry has been to the poor. Pastor Broden, thank you so much for coming on. That was fun, right? Hey, man. I, I thought it was pretty good. I was kind of hesitant because I didn't want to get into a, a long uh, diatribe of... Uh, but anyway, thank you so much for I having me. I told you it would be fun. You did. Yeah. Thank you, you so did. much for coming on. I'll see you soon. And appreciate you. God okay. bless you. And God bless you. A lot that we need to learn. That's right. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye now. Let me go to James out of Nashville, Tennessee. Amazing. And don't forget to like, follow, tweet, subscribe, and share the Jesse Lee Peterson Radio Show, folks. We really appreciate it. We are at war. It is a spiritual battle for the soul of America. And it's going to take all of us to do it.